Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter, Do Death. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. This is episode 43 of Dad and Daughter Do Death. Yeah, we're getting close to 52. We're getting close to a whole year. Yeah, we're in the Christmas season right now. Mm. I can see a Christmas tree right behind you there. Yeah, with my uh, troll on the top as my little angel. Very good. So what we're trying to do is have a few festive related true crime stories which yes. if you listen to this in the middle of summer, lying on a beach somewhere, then, <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. But, um... True crime, true crime, isn't it? <laughs> Whenever it happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I thought, Phoebe, what we would do this evening is, I've got a quite a short, festive, true crime story to tell you okay. about. Uh, and then I thought we'd um, look at a couple of interesting articles that I've seen on the uh, on the internet today that are kind of relevant to what we like to talk about, and also uh, yep. tying those into our experience last weekend at Postmortem Live, the immersive postmortem experience. Yeah, sounds like a good plan to me. So in that case, I will proceed to tell you the story of Vernon Reynolds. Okay. So Vernon Reynolds and his wife, Denise, ran a small guest house in Llandudno in North Wales. The Clavelli House Hotel. Vernon, who was 43, also worked as a taxi driver in the town. Now, in 1991, so this is in your lifetime, just yeah. about, Phoebe. 30 years ago. <laughs> Vernon and, he, yeah, it is actually, see, 30 years ago this month this happened. Yeah. In 1991, Vernon and his wife, Denise, who was 39, just a little bit younger, split up. And she threw him out. I'm not entirely sure what the reason for their split was, but um, by the sounds of things, it might have been going on for some time. Okay. Whatever it was. So she was staying in the guest house, which was also their home, together with the three children that they had between them. And he pleaded with her to let him return, but it just wasn't happening. She wasn't having it. So that year, that December, he spent a miserable Christmas alone. Poor Vernon. Now, on the evening of New Year's Eve, 1991, going into 1992, his emotions were running very high. He decided to go to the hotel with the thought that if he can't have Denise, then no one will, Mm -mm. as he had heard that she already had a new boyfriend. Denise moves quickly. Yeah. And when he arrived, a New Year's party was in full swing. There were other members of the family there, Denise's family, including Denise's parents, Victor and Ada Fryer, her sister and brother-in-law, and a total of seven children, three of them okay. being Vernon and Denise's. And Reynolds forced his way into the building and everyone, including the children, watched in terror as he pulled a knife out and began stabbing his wife and others Mm. in the room. So Denise tried to escape by staggering to the doorstep of a nearby house, where she was stabbed again by her pursuing husband. Mm -mm. Her last words whispered to an ambulance man were, do you think I'm going to die? Upon which, sadly, she did. Oh dear. And a neighbour, Miss Lisa Rayner, who was 22, said, 
The woman asked me to phone the police. Blood was pouring from her. Five others were injured in the knife attack. And they were Mrs. Reynolds' sister, so Denise's sister and brother-in-law, Michelle and Kenneth Owen, both 32. And they'd come up from Collindale in London for New Year. Her father, Victor, 60, and mother Ada, 59, also who come from Collindale. And her other sister, Pauline Nash, who lived in Dunstable. So her sister, Pauline Nash, had to undergo emergency surgery at the Gwynedd Hospital. And Denise's father recovered in another hospital, but he had been seriously injured. The other people that were injured Mm -hmm. were okay. When Bernard Reynolds had seen what he'd done, that he'd actually killed his wife, he got in his car and he just drove. He drove 10 miles out of town along a country road in the Conway Valley. Coming in the other direction were three young friends in a mini. They were Robert Jones, 24, Arwen Roberts, 21, and 18-year-old Brindley Roberts. And they were on their way home from a New Year's Eve party. Mm -hmm. Driving erratically and in an emotional state, trying to flee from the scene of his crime, which, of course, had multiple witnesses to testify to what happened, yeah. Reynolds crashed head on into the oncoming Mini. Oh, no. All four men. So the three guys in the Mini and Vernon died instantly. So that was a pretty tragic start to the uh, new year for the families of those young men. Yeah. And for the Reynolds children, well, 1992 started with losing both of their parents in one fateful night. Oh, my goodness. So that's it, really. It's a combination of true crime and tragic accident. Yeah. Really. But, um, yeah, not a great uh, not a great start to that new year. No. So, and uh, they they must be obviously in their 30s now or 40s, for those children. Probably, yeah. I would imagine they're that sort of age because uh, they wouldn't have been that. Yeah, probably... Probably in their forties, I would have thought. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know what the ages of them were or any and, age um, or anything. That looks like karma. It's kind of just uh, coming to get him, like yeah. straight away, doesn't it? Yeah, I did read somewhere that it's not sure. Where it's not clear whether he he accidentally hit mm. the oncoming car or whether he did it deliberately to. Uh, yeah. But uh, taking out those other lads is not uh, not good. That's not good. Yeah. Now, I don't actually have any pictures from this story. Okay. I've looked. However, there is some video. There's actually oh. there's actually a news story. Um, uh, okay. Uh, from 1991. Sorry, from January 1992, where they cover the story. I think it was an ITN report, actually. So it shows the house. It shows the uh, crashed cars. But there were no real pictures. Well, there are no pictures of any any people to identify from. But nevertheless, it's interesting. So what I can do is put the link to that video on our social media pages. Yeah. So that's the story of Vernon and Denise Reynolds and the uh, three lads that were in the mini that yeah. night. A couple of things I saw today on the BBC website which i thought might be interesting this is the story about a company that has built a suicide pod and plans to launch it in switzerland 
And what's unique about this pod is that you can print it yourself using a 3D printer. So so they'll send you the, uh, whatever it is, the 3D printer needs, the plans, the program, the script, whatever. And uh, basically you, you put yourself in it, you press a button and it, replaces all the oxygen with nitrogen apparently oh, wow. so you uh, basically very quickly go unconscious i guess that's through hypoxia yeah uh, and then within about 10 minutes you'll actually die there is a button that you can press in an emergency to exit if you change your mind <laughs> but they're just arguing about whether or not that that is legal in switzerland given that they've got laws of that do allow assisted suicide with yeah this is like dignitas dignitas is not the only one apparently but um, it's one that everyone knows about that That's was interesting. quite interesting is that the same one that you can that you can kind of trigger it by just like like a muscle twitching in your face you don't have to press a button like you don't have to be able to so oh, you can like kind of like motor neuron disease yeah you could like you could do it yourself like it doesn't need very much movement at all Right. Was it the same one, or was that another one? That I, I think saw? that that might be another one. Um, uh, yeah. Interesting. But uh, the comments at the end—if if you see a picture of it, I'll, I'll put a picture of it up for us to look at. But, it's so, like a space pod. Yeah. Like something you'd go into space, like hypersleep well, with. <laughs> a couple of comments are that um, they were trying to demedicalize the dying process and make it more of a humanitarian experience, I suppose, rather yeah. than being surrounded by tubes and machines and things that are beeping wearing but uh, a critic has claimed that it's futuristic design as you say it looks like a sort of a space pod glamorizes suicide yeah i don't know what happens to you when you're dead so i suppose someone has to come along and take you out <laughs> yeah i don't think they can leave you in there <laughs> no unless you bury the whole thing I guess it just means you're not having to be in a hospital or a hospice and, you know, hooked up to monitors and injections and stuff like that. Are you? Yeah, I mean, it depends on your condition, I suppose. If you're if you're sort of able to get around without those out those sort of things, I guess. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, I guess a lot of people who kind of would be having sort of, especially end of life palliative care, they're probably going to be at that sort of in that sort of stage aren't they yeah or attached to oxygen or something like that and it kind of gets rid of that sort of medical side of things which i can see Hmm. interesting now the other story i saw which kind of links back to something that we experienced last week at our post-mortem experience was a story about a special sleeping bag that has been developed for use by astronauts in space okay what you're thinking i am the thing that this special sleeping bag will cure is a squashed eyeball disorder okay last week when we did our post-mortem live experience we had a um hands-on experience with a head we did not a human head yeah we should (laughs) reiterate it wasn't it wasn't a human head (laughs) it has to be said that it was not a human head it was actually a pig's head but it was quite fresh and in fact it was half a head because i think somebody else on another table had the other half half, but uh, nevertheless that saved us a lot of hacking through bone with Mm. (laughs) what we're very blunt (laughs) but um but we looked at the brain and saw how that 
fitted into the skull and mm -hmm. how that was uh, attached and some of the nerves coming in, the optic nerve in particular, and where the brain stem then sits in the base of the skull and the spine then comes off that. And, and part of the uh, rationale for looking at that particular part of the anatomy was to do with blunt force trauma. Mm -hmm. When people are, uh, experience blunt force trauma, it can cause bleeding in the skull, which then swells the the membranes, I suppose, and blood floods in. And the brain, which is an extremely squishy thing, as we discovered mm -hmm. last week. In fact, didn't they say brains are measured in litres, not, yeah. uh, not by the weight or anything like that, because it is almost liquid. Yeah, I was genuinely surprised how yeah. liquidy it was. It felt really similar consistency to kind of like wet slime, yeah. like it kind of stretchy. And, you know, if you held it in your hand, it would literally drip through your fingers. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, I thought it was like an organ, so like solid or like, you know, muscular, like really formed, but it's not. It's just liquid. It is, yeah, yeah. Gooey <laughs> liquid. Electra also said that when she first held her, I think that was a human brain, wasn't it? She was yeah. surprised it just sort of slipped through her fingers. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway, because um, so they have to put a fixin in it. Don't they? There's like a special fixin that they use to kind of hold it, so they can like pull it out and actually look at it. So yeah, because I guess the only other experience I'd had of a brain, which I was thinking about, was at that bodyworks exhibition. But obviously, they would be solid because mm. they have been turned to plastic essentially. Yeah. Yeah. In, in infused with plastic to yeah. hold everything and replace all the water with plastic that keeps it keeps its shape but but yeah what happens is if you if you get a the brain oh, a head injury if you get bleeding on the brain or bleeding in the head it can push the brain out of position to the point where the base of the brain gets forced through the hole at the base of the skull the name yeah. of which escapes me at the moment it was latin <laughs> for like big hole wasn't it yeah it was something <laughs> something major and once that happens really then you're dead. You're, you're pretty much dead because it's, uh, it's all it's all crumpled up, and the the connection between the brain and the spine, I suppose, is, is compromised and things. Yeah. So that was the reason for looking at at the the brain to get an idea of the anatomy. But one of the other things we were asked to look at was an eyeball. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of the forensic story that we were following, the one of the things we were told was if there's a dead body and you want to find out how much blood or how much blood alcohol or how much alcohol that person may have had in their system at the point of death, blood isn't necessarily a good indicator because mm -hmm. it, the alcohol deteriorates in the blood, but the fluid in an eyeball maintains... The vitreous humour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sort of black gunge mm. that we experienced. It, um, it it maintains the level of alcohol for much yeah. longer that we would have been in someone at the point of death. So, uh, so that that I think that was the the link to yeah <laughs> us having a look at the eyeball. But what we did discover when we got the vitreous humor, vitreous humor, yeah. vitreous humor out was that the eyeball itself just collapses. It's yeah. just like um, a bag. <laughs> yeah, it's like a thin plastic bag almost. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so the whole thing, if you, if you do push on your eyes or whatever, yeah. that's all the um, liquid, all the liquid that's inside. Now, what happens to astronauts in space? And indeed, what happens to everybody at night when they're in bed? When mm -hmm. you lie down, your body fluids sort of even out. 
across your body and they run into your head and the pressure of that fluid in your head pushes against your eyeballs okay and and it can distort them to the point where it will affect your vision and if 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 that pressure is maintained for too long it will permanently distort your eyeballs that's interesting now that happens every night when you're lying down in bed but when you get up in the morning you become upright again so your body fluids tend to drain down your mm-hmm. body just gravity isn't it yeah uh, so that pressure is taken off your eyeball so mm-hmm. it's a bit of a cycle really now astronauts in space there is no gravity and for them the the fluids in their body are floating around all over the place inside okay so the pressure of that fluid never has in in the head never has an opportunity to drain away Mm -hmm. so that fluid starts pushing against the eyeball over a prolonged period of time it's like they're lying down for six months and it's a recorded phenomena that astronauts come back and their eyesight has really deteriorated that's interesting Uh, yeah in some cases now this sleeping bag that's been developed uh, again we'll put pictures of it i think it's like a prototype at the moment it goes from the waist down really but it's a solid rigid structure it put me in mind a bit of an iron lung which yeah, is, so which, is which is the thing that you put somebody in and seal it all around and um basically again as we learned last week with breathing <laughs> it's it's your diaphragm that when you uh whatever happens your diaphragm when when your diaphragm contract um it lowers the pressure in your thoracic cavity in your Mm -hmm. chest cavity which means that the lungs then fill up to fill that vacuum and then when you relax your diaphragm well as we learned last week there's actually a elastic in the lungs which causes the lungs to expel air yeah so um, the diaphragm helps you breathe in but the lungs themselves sort of spring back and what an iron lung did is it reduced the pressure around the entire body to to make that sort of low pressure occur which meant that your lungs would expand into that vacuum Mm -hmm. into that lower pressure and therefore you breathed in what this space sleeping bag does is something similar apparently it reduces the pressure in the lower part of the body which in effect draws fluids okay from the upper part of your body to the lower part of the body, therefore relieving pressure in the head and pressure on the eyeballs. That's cool. Yeah, I don't think I realised until last week just how... <laughs> yeah, just like a little plastic bag an eyeball is. Yeah. It, was, it was nothing there. In fact, I think there's some pictures of... Uh, oh, yeah, there's a picture of me holding the deflated holding the eyeball. deflated eyeball, yeah. Yeah. I think, like... Our body is mostly water, isn't it? We're, we're mostly made yeah. up of water. I can't remember what percentage is, but it's, it's a high percentage, isn't it? Of, and we are just water. And I think you think, oh, but where is all that water? But actually, it's everywhere. It's like everything is just kind of like built up with water. Your cells are full of them, mm. full of it. Yeah. And and as I think we learned before the Body Works exhibition, that so much of a body, be it human, pigs, whatever, is to do with the transport of fluid around the yeah. body with various types of yeah. fluids different types of fluid yeah yeah no you're right I think the so... other thing around like gravity is that um like they were saying last week is like so much of our body is built up to kind of fight against gravity and it collapsing in on itself so 
she's saying like there's ligaments in the is it in the bladder there's like a part of the bladder that's got like a muscle in it to stop it to basically prop it open so it doesn't just collapse under gravity and the way that your kind of yeah. lungs are and your heart are it's all built up so that you're not kind of being pulled apart by gravity essentially all the time yeah 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 it's very clever it is very clever so um so those are a couple of stories we can put pictures from both of those mm. stories that i thought were interesting yeah. and um and i think we had a really good afternoon last sunday at post-mortem life it's on it tour around the uk yeah. <laughs> we weren't the only parent and child combination that were there, there we were, weren't there was no. quite a few actually yes. like, i saw other <laughs> with kind of like parents and their children <laughs> older parents and children not like you know parents and toddlers, oh yeah but, yeah yeah it's not like you and toby and going no i don't think he'd be up for it <laughs> no um there must have been 120 140 people in that room it was a yeah. huge room with the people sat around the edge in yeah. two two rows and, and, and touch wood no covid yet and it's been nearly a week so <laughs> yeah now well, we, were, we were all wearing masks weren't we? yeah, and, yeah. Uh, first yeah, of all we had the pig's head to look at yeah and that got all taken away. And then we were presented with basically the respiratory system yeah. of the of a so pig. It was like tongue, this bit. Esophagus and trachea. Esophagus and trachea. Yeah. Um, the, the esophagus sort of disappeared because that would have gone into the stomach. But the trachea was still yeah. there. Going into the lungs, yeah. which were really interesting. And then behind the left lung was where the, was heart, the heart was. Yeah. And pigs lungs and heart are extremely similar to humans because mm-hmm. we should probably explain like the premise of it was that this man who was this semi-synthetic cadaver I say his name was Derek maybe had been found murdered or found dead in a river Based and down. um <laughs> it was yeah, and it was up to the team to kind of work out what happened to him so they kind of talked you through the different like the kind of process of a post-mortem autopsy and the kind of different areas that you would look at and then as we kind of focused on those kind of well there's four separate areas we looked at three of them (laughs) as we kind of looked at those different areas they kind of focused on the evidence that was kind of there in this fake case basically and then we were sent to look at the kind of pig to look at the kind of actual physiology of it so like dad said about the, you know, the they showed us this photo of what looked like blood force trauma so then we looked at kind of what that looked like in a actual body yeah. um compared to just looking at photos of it so it was very hands-on it was very immersive getting yeah. that chance to kind of look at those things and it was I, I think the the point of looking at the lungs were because he was found face down in the river would have yeah. he drowned so was it was there water in the lung in the lungs is one of the things yeah. that the, the real pathologist would have looked for. Yeah. I mean we... But also, um, obviously you know he was found in the water and beaten up. So to look at him you'd think, oh he probably died of that. But actually, was there something else underlying that could have killed him? So they were saying weren't they for a forensic pathology they have to look at literally every single yep. part to try and just absolutely make sure a hundred percent that it was definitely that that, that killed him. There's only like he had like quite an enlarged heart. So, you know, and he was obviously, and he had all those kind of spider veins. He was obviously quite a big alcohol user. Yeah. He'd obviously not had a very healthy lifestyle, but those weren't the things that killed him. The things that killed him ultimately was this kind of blunt force trauma to his head, wasn't it? So we learned mm-hmm. with postmortems, there are two types of postmortem that are carried out a forensic postmortem and a medical postmortem. Yeah. 
and a forensic postmortem cannot be denied by family or next of kin or anything. Yeah. If if there's a need for a forensic postmortem in a suspicious case, then uh, then it must take place, and it will look at four cavities of the body. I thought there were only yeah. ever three, <laughs> so that yeah. was something I learned. Yeah, we didn't talk about the fourth cavity, did we, on Sunday? It didn't really get mentioned. No, so it didn't. I suppose there's not an awful lot to say about it in no. that context. But the, the first well, first one is the cranium, the skull cavity, where the brain is. Second yep. one is the thoracic cavity, the chest cavity, where your mm-hmm. heart and lungs are. Third one is the abdominal cavity with your stomach, intestines, and all that gangy mm-hmm. stuff down there. And the fourth cavity is the spinal column. Spinal column, yeah, through which your spinal cord runs. Yeah. It's amazing to think they're the only cavities you've got. Yeah, yeah, it's true, yeah. Because your arms and your legs don't have any cavities, do they? They're just no. muscle. just yeah. <laughs> muscles and veins and arteries. And bones, yeah. So yeah, that was that was something I learned. The other yeah. interesting point I'd learned was well that everybody has got blood clots all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and your body just deals with deals them with generally. Them. At any one time, you've got blood clots. Um, yeah. It just depends where they are and, uh, yeah, how they're dealt just, with. Yeah, and your body just kind of knows to get rid of them. It's when that messaging goes wrong that you end up with a blood clot that you can't get rid of. Were there any other things that you picked up on last week that... Uh... No, I think that was the other thing, the fact that, like, the intestines are all, like, held together. Mm-hmm. By like a, a membrane, a membrane essentially so they kind of attach this membrane but then also all the different membranes that are around the body that are just so tough like that one that was in the brain yeah it was so difficult to get through but i guess it makes sense isn't it because the, the brain itself is so liquidy yep it would need something substantial to kind of hold it in place and that membrane was you know it wasn't very thick but it was really, really tough really tough yeah what did she say the lecturer she said uh, all important organs come gift wrapped Oh yeah. So, so every one of our organs has got like a membrane wrapped around mm-hmm. it to to protect it. It's just so clever, like how mm. we've evolved to be like this. Oh yeah, mind blowing. Yeah, mind just blowing. Out of, yeah. The, the Small, intestines were. Yeah, <laughs> from a single cell to the complexity of what we are. Yeah. The, um, as you said, the intestines—they're not like one great long tube that just sort of goes out they're, they're actually held into that wiggly shape as you yeah. said by those membranes yeah um and yeah. it looks like like frills on the side yeah. of a skirt sort of thing like stitched on more than anything kind of like yeah lace around a skirt rather than it being just like a long tube and the small intestine was really pink and the large intestine yeah. was like gray very gray <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah a distinctive uh point where it change from one to the other yeah definitely but yeah it was really interesting a really it interesting thing so we have some pictures that we took last week yeah we were, we were able to take as many pictures as we wanted to so yeah. we took a few so as you can tell ladies and gentlemen i think we had quite an enjoyable time learning yeah. that sort of stuff last week could have been gory and gruesome but i think because most people there went with a an actual interest whether it was scientific or just morbid interest but at mm. least there was a an actual interest in 
how all this works and as a result yeah. it, it was quite a learning experience yeah definitely so um yeah from the story i can put uh the the newsreel onto our social pages and the uh the bbc stories are talked about and a few pictures of our experience last sunday and you can find those on our instagram at dad and daughter do death on our facebook page at dad and daughter do death and you can email us at dad and daughter do death at gmail.com yep thank you very much for listening hopefully you've enjoyed this episode <laughs> um and yeah i'd recommend the postmortem live afternoon really interesting travels all over the country so um yeah if you're a little bit morbid like we are go take yourself off for the afternoon to learn about postmortems and dissect some pigs <laughs> so when you've done that join us next time when once again dad and daughter do death <laughs>